This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Welcome to this week's edition of the Better Rivals Podcast. My name is Oscar Aparicio, and this week, free agency is officially here. No more speculation. Let's talk about some real things. The 49ers finally beat Patrick Mahomes. We tell you how and provide scattering reports on two new 49ers. And with me this week to chug 37 juice boxes in a row in celebration of Kyle Juszczyk's contract, it's David Newman. <laughs> I don't even like juice. Do you not like juice? Maybe right, well, chuck, thir- chuck 37 beers. It, it's know? your decision. Yeah. Uh, so uh, I'm pretty sure I may have mentioned this before uh, on the pod, but floating the river, definitely a thing in Texas. And also a thing is like, you know, passing out beers and or drinks. Capri Sun bags that you uh, pop a syringe in the bottom of, take out some juice and inject in some vodka and then reduct tape <laughs> is the way that you get liquor drinks to the river. Smart. Pro like tip. It. Yep. Pro Innovative. Tip. It is Thursday night. It's later than normal. I know. We didn't want to come at you with a partial pod. We didn't want to talk about things that didn't happen. We didn't want to spend 45 minutes to an hour talking about an unknown D Ford restructure and Trent Williams not being signed and Kyle Hughes checking Emmanuel Mosley. So we waited till Thursday. Here we are. To give you a full analysis of the first week of free agency. It's a good week. It's a fun week. I got some Weller to celebrate. It's going to be a good pot, David. Let's get let's get rolling. I'm not even going to talk about Chelsea football on the front end of the pod, except for maybe this. <laughs> I was thinking about I was thinking about the uh, soccer during the Champions League game that, of course, Chelsea won. Of course, and I just keep thinking about how the game. I, I, the reason that I think soccer is so fun is because it is to me a game about the process. The goals are great. But it's about like the buildup, how you get there, possessing the ball. Like you don't have to score to to actually see everything happening on the field. And so for a couple of guys like us that really enjoy the process, it is really, really interesting. It's the same reason we like the drive and, and like the, the touchdown is great and it's fun and it's exciting, but it's like what happened on the drive? That stuff is yeah. interesting. What's the scheme behind it? Soccer is is all of that, but it really like focuses you in on the process of stuff and not necessarily on the goal which invariably will come if you're good and all that other stuff. But yes, well, you know, I figured we got to give the, the listeners what they tuned in for, which is football. Football, all in all forms, you know, that's what we're here for. All right, let's talk about, we're going to hit really three big sections on today's pod. One, we're going to talk about retaining the free agents the 49ers had. Then we're going to give you some scouting reports on the brand new 49ers, Samson Ebukam and Alex Mack. And then we're going to get to what's left. Other focus areas, Maybe a couple of goodbyes to some players. We'll see where the show takes us. Let's talk about retaining our own players. And top of the list here, right away, Trent Williams. 
3.30 in the morning. This is when deals happen. <laughs> uh, he is now a 49er for the next six years. It's fantastic news. I mean, this is, uh, again, in, in the preview um, you know, that we did last week, this is, of course, the one thing that they needed to find a way to get done no matter what in order for this, uh, I think, free agency period to be considered any sort of success, right? If suddenly you lose Trent Williams and you are, are searching for your future left tackle, um, that is a bad position for this team to be in right now. So, um, yeah, it, it had to get done. They had to figure out a way to... Uh, keep him in-house, and and they got it done. Now, other teams were circling. The Bears were rumored to be interested. The Chiefs apparently were interested. Patrick Mahomes was out recruiting Trent Williams. Patrick Mahomes and Trent Williams grew up close to each other, and they you know they spent some off-seasons uh, near each other. Trent Williams, of course, has a gym with Adrian Peterson. Patrick, they're, they're bros. They're buddies. So... Patrick Mahomes sent them froggy vibes out to Trent Williams and said, come be my left tackle. And Trent Williams said, nah, I'm good. I'm going to go ahead and stay with my boy, Kyle. The Niners finally beat Patrick Mahomes at the very least Trent Williams. Finally. Oh, word is, except for that lost Super Bowl ring, you know, word yeah. is they don't get a ring just for this win specifically, but hopefully <laughs> this gets them a win later. I mean, it's, it's, we've talked a lot about why Trent Williams is so important, but Really, when you think about the positions of import, and we've talked about positional value a lot on the pod, you really hope that your highest paid players and your best players are quarterback, left tackle, cornerback, defensive end, uh, you know, hopefully somewhere near that order. And the Niners have the left tackle part figured out. They've got defensive end figured out. I don't know. Well, we'll talk about corner later in their philosophy, but um, you know, they've got a couple of these items figured out. It's a, it's a good spot to be in. And, and there, there are still some interesting things about the contract that make it even more team-friendly, despite the fact that he is still the highest-paid lineman in NFL history. Yeah, I, I think it for where he's at in his career, right? And, and I think that he is very much a guy, you know, that we've mentioned before, right? That you, you expect him, a player of his caliber, the way he was performing last season, um, to continue to be one of those great left tackles that performs at a high level, like well into his mid thirties. Right. Um, so, so he very much has the makeup of that guy. So you're not necessarily thinking that he's going to fall off a cliff, you know, this season or next season or something like that. Um, but it is nice to have that sort of protection. Right. So I think you, it really was a deal that is, is good for kind of both sides. Right. Like, I mean, Trent Williams get, gets what he wants, which is to be the highest paid, you know, left tackle or offensive lineman in football. And, uh, you know, gets to, to kind of, put out all of those numbers, even though we know that, you know, he's not going to necessarily see all of that money. And then the 49ers have, um, you know, reasonable outs and, and points within the contract where if he does start to decline a little bit or, you know, just, you know, wh whatever, if something's don't, doesn't go to plan, um, they can be protected a little bit from that. That's the interesting thing to me is that it's, it's just an $8.2 million cap hit in the 2021 season, which is where the Niners needed to keep it. That was consistent with the backloading philosophy they used for Eric Armstead and George Kittle. But there is a trigger April 1st of 2023 to opt into the final three years of the deal. So even though it's a six-year deal, it's really like a front-end three years and a back-end three years. And the back-end three years are really where the salaries begin to balloon. That's when his cap hits really go above like 20, almost 30, $27 million, $30 million, $33 million in that final year. 
but the Niners don't have to opt into those three years if they don't need to. But let's say they do. Let's say they get you know four years out of Trent Williams, even if they cut him in 2024. His dead money cap number is 12 million. They save 14, almost 15 million on the deal. While 12 million dollars is still a significant hit. If you're thinking about the TV deals that come in, if you're thinking about the cap that's likely going to continue to rise back up to levels because of these new TV deals, that may be a palatable number if things don't go to plan, as you say. And and then honestly, the final year, the 2026 year, that's like a vanity year. Yeah, that's, that's not a year. Happening. Yeah, <laughs> his cap number is 33 million dollars that year. It's 32 million dollars in salary that is not guaranteed. And because his large signing bonus, which is likely the concession that Trent drew out of all this, is like a little bit bigger signing bonus, which the Niners are probably happier to acquiesce to because that helps them backload the deal. But it also means guaranteed money in Trent Williams' pocket on day one. Um, you know, I, I think that, that 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 year really does two things. One, it, it inflates the total number, so it gives Trent Williams some bragging rights. He is uh, definitely looking at the, the average per year number which takes it up over 23, because if you lop that last year off, it's somewhere near 22 and some change. Um, and it gives the Niners team control for one more year if they actually want it or need it in case he does actually perform well into his you know age 39 season. So it's, it's a win-win all around, all things considered. I think this is a contract that is good for Trent Williams. It's a contract that has certain things that are good for the Niners. Yep. All around, everyone kind of wins here. Which isn't usually the case, you know, I think especially with the we've, we've kind of been accustomed to the 49ers deals like a lot of times they're not the most player friendly deals, um, you know, they, they yeah. really are um, protecting the team in a lot of ways, which, you know, of course, for the the success of the team, right, and not getting into to bad salary cap situations um, that that can be obviously a very good thing, but it's not, you know, it's not players aren't winning, which is, you know, what we, part of what we want to so. Um, yeah, I think this is kind of that rare deal that that strikes a good balance between getting, um, you know, a, a high end player, the money that he deserves while also making sure that the team isn't going to be stuck paying, you know, these incredible cap figures later in the deal. Part of the reason they could make this deal is because they did restructure D Ford's contract. And really, we don't have a lot of details about D Ford's restructure. All we know is that it was a two year, twenty four million dollar deal. Um, do you think, that, and, and you, David, on the pod where we talked about our, our plan, I was more thinking that they would cut him. You said they'd likely restructure him. So they definitely went with your idea. Your ideas are almost always better. Um, <laughs> but but the do you think that this speaks anything towards his health? Do you think this means the Niners are actually thinking like, okay, maybe you will turn it around and play, and that's why we're okay with restructuring it? Or do you think this is more like the, we're not going to be able to cut you in April because you're not healthy? So we're just restructuring it to buy us more time so that when you then get healthy, we can cut you. I I don't I mean, a little column A, a little column B, right? Probably, I, I think like... I don't like this indecision, David. Remember it, when I said that most decisions that you make are better? Look, like, yeah, I don't I don't know that... Um, so I, th- I think from the 49ers perspective, like it is always going to be better for them, right? The, the, the best version of this team um, in 2021 probably includes a D Ford that is playing that is healthy and playing relatively well, right? Like that is something that is, they look at the the makeup of this team. Like they could really use the, the contributions from him that they've been expecting, but it's also protecting that like, Hey, 
you've been super hurt and you haven't been available for us on the field. Like there's no chance we're paying you this $20 million this year. Like we need to do something about this and and we can't really afford to cut you right now. So, you know, I I think, and and it's good. I I think D Ford doesn't want to, again, go into um, a kind of depressed um, market coming off all the injuries and like, he's not going to command, you know, any sort of big deal in, in that environment. So I think like he, it works out in his favor to also stick around, you know, reduce that, um, salary that he's got the next couple of years. And then hopefully he can get healthy and, you know, um, be on a defensive line where he does have a chance to, if he's out there, play very well, right. He's got other pieces there. Um, that, that's going to mean that he should get a lot of one-on-one situations and, and have a chance to perform well. So I, I think, yeah, it, it does make sense for them to want him around and, and to, you know, at least have some hope that he can see the field more often. Yeah, so that definitely was a cap move that helped them do some things like their next big signing, your favorite signing of all these signings, and that's Kyle Juszczyk. A five-year, $27 million contract. We texted each other about the deal when we saw the initial numbers. And I feel, David, like we forgot the cardinal rule of free agency. Always wait for the structure. Because we were over here lamenting. It was like, I forget exactly what I was doing. I think I was FaceTiming uh, a friend of mine. And so I was like, responding to text. And I was like, oh, Jesus Christ. They did, they did it again. They did it again. But you look at the actual deal. You look at the contract. The signing bonus is low. It's just $4 million. There's an option bonus due April 21st of 2022. And that triggers the back three years of the deal. So really, you look at this as like a two-year deal and then a three-year deal. And those first two years are just 2.27 million in terms of cap hit and 2.95 million in terms of cap hit. Those two cap hits are way below any single cap hit that he had in his previous deal in any single year. His cap hits in his last contract were like five, six, almost $7 million near the last year of his deal. And now he actually comes in cheaper, closer to what you would have expected a top fullback to make. And if the cap rises, you can pay him a bit more. If it doesn't, you don't have to opt in to those future years. This to me also seems like even though it's big numbers, the actual structure of the deal reveals what you would expect for something like a fullback. Yeah, I I think it's um, better than expected, but you know, it's still two and a half, three million dollars a year for a fullback, um, even in those for those first ones. So yeah, I think it's it's better. Like we expected like they, they were always going to make a push to resign, right? Like um, it, it was going to happen. Like they were going to want to keep him around. They'd made it very clear that that was the case. And so there, there was always a, a, a certain element of like, this is a contract where we're just not looking to maximize, which like, I don't know that, that ever, that any NFL team is ever going to do this, or I don't know that, that they really should either. But when you, we, a lot of the lens that we're looking at contracts through, right. Is like, how much are you maximizing the available, um, capital that you have to spend? So you have so much right money that you can spend in the, the cap. Are you making decisions that are maximizing every dollar, right? Are you looking for value in every spot? And I don't think that teams are always making decisions with that lens, right? Sometimes there are just players that they want around for, um, yes, their on-field contributions and, and right. What juice brings to the table and, and allows them to do, um, you know, within this offense is, is well-documented, but, um, he's not providing on-field value at even the, you know, the, the two and a half, $3 million or whatever it is. Like he's just not, but there's, there's other elements at play there. 
um, that make them feel that he is worth it, right? And and they're going to pay him that. So I think it is just like nice to see that it's at least for these first couple years, not that five million plus cap hit. He is getting drunk dials from the owner and general manager. <laughs> like that's how much he's ingratiated himself yeah. in this franchise. This is a true story. I don't know if, if you heard this, but it was Jed York's 40th birthday over the course of the weekend. And so Shanahan, Lynch, and York were there. And apparently, this is when Lynch tweeted out, you know, do you like some, do you want some juice or whatever the, the actual thing was? Yeah. But that's because he was drunk. And he basically drunk tweeted it because he was happy. And then they FaceTime juice. And it's like the owner, it's basically a bro fest. It's like, I love you, man. You're going to be here for, you know, two to five years, depending on whether or not you're <laughs> worth it. And, <laughs> and, and yeah, and, and juice is like, yeah, I love you guys too. And, you know, it, it basically, it's just a, a, a slobber fest over this fullback that like he, he definitely made some relationships here. This is where he's going to retire. And you know what, you know, when you're drunk dialing the owner, you've got a job for life, bro. Hey, get it. Get it. Um, so you can also think use check for one thing, uh, which is planting the Joe Flacco bug in Shanahan's ear. Because we'll talk about quarterback here in a second, but uh, apparently Juice is now also recruiting. And the first call he made <laughs> was to Joe Flacco. He tells you all you all you need to know, really. Really. Now you can blame if you like I don't you know how we said on the last but like you can you can think you can like the person and still not always agree with the signing. I may have to retract that if we end up signing Joe Flacco. I may have to retract that. At least it's, um, oh, oh, we'll save this for, for later. Well, n- no quarterbacks right now. I'm not ready for that. Yeah, yet. Let's, let's, talk, let's not talk about quarterbacks. Let's talk about cornerbacks. Jason Verrett and Emmanuel Mosley both signed. Jason Verrett was really the big one. He signed a one-year, $5.5 million deal. Could go up to $6.5 million if he makes the Pro Bowl. This, it, it felt like a Richard Sherman move. This is... I think Jason Verrett betting on himself for one year and then trying to get a big deal, a much bigger deal when he's proved that he can stay healthy for another single year when there's more cap dollars available next year. I mean, you look at his, his snaps last year, 802 snaps were the most he's played in a single season, his entire career. So it, it feels like another kind of win-win. And he where, still wasn't fully healthy. He still didn't play in all 16 games. <laughs> I know, because a full season is closer to 1,000 snaps, right? So he missed, you know, the 60 or, or 100 and so snaps. And so you, you're, you're thinking about this and you're thinking, okay, yeah, like another deal where it makes sense to bring him back for one year. And then if you do need to sign him, I mean, the, the, the worst case scenario in this case is if Jason Verrett does have another year where he's healthy and balls out, then the Niners are looking to have to pay, you know, $12, $13 million a year for his services, and they could have locked him in at a cheaper rate. But another one where it's like you had to sign him, we thought even from midseason that he was more the priority from Richard Sherman, and the team got it done. Yeah, I, I definitely don't think he was worth the risk of, of like trying to lock him into a maybe cheaper long-term deal now, right? Because like, yeah, of course there's the, the injury history, but he's also like, this is going to be his age 30 season. Um, you know, I, I don't know, yeah, that, that you're wanting to to get locked up long-term in that. And, and if he plays well again this season um, and goes and gets another deal that's more expensive, like I think you you live with that and, and are okay with that. I think it ultimately it comes down to in, in the way that they – um, have approached cornerback so far. I think there's kind of two two takeaways for me. And one, one of them just is though, like they weren't going to be able to let all these guys go, 
and and completely refill the cornerback room with all new players like that would have been a disaster um I, I don't think there's any way that they could have done that so yeah you you expected them to try and keep some of the guys in-house right and i think verrett mosley um were certainly the two that probably made the most sense right i think sherman we've talked about and, and it wasn't really going to make a lot of sense to keep him around akello um it's see you later but uh yeah i i think like the moves they've made so far um make sense from that perspective and the other one is like this is just how they feel about cornerbacks right they're just not going to spend top dollar at this position exactly because you you look at emmanuel mosley and his deal was a two-year deal uh 9.3 million dollars with about 4.3 million dollars guaranteed um and, and he's an interesting player because he played a little bit in the slot last year and, and when you're looking at signing, because the Niners are still going to need another corner or two. As a matter of fact, I think they're, they're probably going to need at least two. They need a slot corner and then probably another more proven backup at outside corner. Um, and, and maybe you hope that guy has versatility enough to play inside, right? But you, you're looking at now a, a, a team that won't have a starting corner that ranks better than 29th. In twenty in twenty twenty one cap dollars, and that's pending whomever starts at nickel. This is just the team's philosophy. They're going to go and pay more money for defensive linemen than they will for defensive backs. And and I do think that Verrett and Mosley are good players, and I think they can be good in this system. I am still very curious to see if they add another value add at nickel because there's there's value to be had out there. I mean, the only corner that was really signed in the market that, that really made some ways was Mike Hilton. He was the guy that we really wanted if the, if the Niners could swing it. I think his, uh, his APY was like 5 million a year or something like that, which is like almost twice as much as what K1 got over the course of his career, which is pretty wild. Um, so I, I do think that, you know, K1 still on the table as someone who can come back. Uh, you've got other options like Desmond King that we talked about. So, I mean, there's still, you can get a, a very, very good viable starter at nickel um, and still not put a lot of money in that cornerback position. And by and large, I think that's not a terribly bad defensive backfield, all things considered. Yeah, I, I think, that, you know, again, they, they're going to be a team defensively that builds through the front seven, and they're going to hope that the pass rush um, takes some pressure off of the back end, right? And and we um, have talked at length about, you know, how we don't know that that's necessarily always the case, um, but that, that's, that's clearly their philosophy that's um, clearly how they're going to approach things. And so, um, yeah, I don't think that, I, I think at that point, you know, with the amount of capital that you know that they're going to spend in the secondary, you're just hoping for competency, right? You're, you're hoping to not have um, any glaring weak spot because, I mean, that's the tough part about the secondary is you can have, you know, if you, get, you figure you have five defensive backs out there most of the time, um, if one of those guys is really awful, like teams are just going to throw where that fucking guy is. Like it, it's very hard to, uh, hide a really bad player in the secondary. And so, um, I think you're, you're just hoping to be solid kind of across the board there. And, and if you can do that and the front seven plays, you know, the way that they, they are hoping, then you can have a, a solid defense and be fine. How was Emmanuel Mosley in the slot? Is he is he someone that you can actually count on moving in? Because we we've talked at length about how the slot position is a different position than outside corner. Outside corner, you've got the boundary and the sideline as an extra defender. You can squeeze them. There's different techniques that you can use to really use that to your advantage. 
Richard Sherman, for example, I think is is a, a really good example of how he's really good at using the sideline. But if you were to move him into the slot, I don't think he's anywhere near as good as he would be if he were out on the edge. Emmanuel Mosley, we've talked a lot about him and we've broken his film down, and he is similarly someone who is able to carry verticals very well and work that sideline very well. Is he someone that can transition into covering a two-way go when you're in the slot? Or is that one of those things where like the team thinks he can do it, but his performance when he's played there hasn't really necessarily held up? Yeah, I, I think it's, I mean, it's tough because the sample is so small still. My my like inclination is to say that I, I don't think it's a good idea for him to move inside permanently, but um, the reality is he just hasn't spent a lot of time there. And so you can look at, I think the last two seasons, depending on which one you want to look at, can tell different stories, right? I think in, uh, in, in each season, he had around, um, like 40, 30, 30, 40 coverage snaps from the slot. Um, and in 2019, he was better on the outside than he was in the slot. And then last season he was better, a little bit better in the slot than he was on the outside. But, but in neither season was he like great, right in the slot like there it wasn't like he was getting in in those you know 40 snaps there in that small sample and just like clearly a transformed player that was much better than like oh okay maybe we should spend more time with him at this position like it it wasn't that type of situation um it wasn't a large delta you know either way so i i don't know I, i still kind of feel like he's probably a better fit for them on the outside but Probably, I think I, I don't think he's so bad in the slot either that you don't at least have the door open for, okay, if we're going to bring in another starting cornerback and we can't find a guy that we really love in the slot to bring back at the right price, maybe we can find somebody that we like on the outside and we can slide Mosley into the slot. Like, so it maybe gives them um, you know a little bit of versatility there in, in terms of the options that they have to kind of fill out um, that cornerback room. But um, yeah, I, I think I would probably err towards leaving him on the outside if I could. The economy is made up of real people doing real stuff, and it affects everything, which you obviously know since you're a real person doing real stuff. Marketplace is here to help you get smart about everything beyond the what of the day's business and economic news. We dig into the how and the why with the real people driving our economy. From big tech and interest rates to small businesses and what's happening at the Fed, Marketplace breaks it all down so you don't have to. Listen to Marketplace wherever you get your podcasts. All right, so that's mostly the people of note that the Niners have retained. Let's talk a little bit about the new blood here for the 49ers, and we're going to start with the defensive line. We knew they were going to address this position at some point, and they did with former Los Angeles Ram, Samson Ebukam. I've been thinking about pronouncing this name for so long killing it i've now done it twice and as far as i know i haven't done it wrong and that's not <laughs> it's not a lot but samson ebukam signed a two-year 12 million dollar deal fourth round pick in 2017 he is the speed rusher that we thought the niners were going to go after but he played outside linebacker for the rams he's been kind of maybe miscast he i think the rams did to him what the Niners have tried to do to lots of players, which is play him somewhere else where they thought his athletic profile would work, and it didn't, and it didn't necessarily work out. But the Niners see him more as an edge player, not really an outside linebacker. Um, and perhaps most importantly, he hasn't missed a game in four years. 
maybe the Niners are learning is all I'm saying. <laughs> but with any of our scouting reports, we're going to give you a couple of key areas. One, we're going to talk about their athletic profile. Then we're going to talk about where this player wins, what they do well on tape, and then a couple of things that they can improve upon. And of course, through that, we'll give you our overall impressions. We're going to do that for both Samson Ebukam and Alex Mack. Let's start with Samson. Let's start with his athletic profile. Um, is this a profile that makes you jump broadly, perhaps, David? <laughs> you know, it's not bad. Um, you know, I, I actually, so kind of my process as we were starting to look at some of these players was, you know, I pulled up, you had already started to put together some notes kind of in, in our document that we use um, and threw some notes on that athletic profile. And it's like, all right, this is a little exciting. So, I mean, 98th percentile uh, 10 yard split in his 40, 98th percentile broad jump. Uh, you know, very solid 75th percentile on the three cone. So it's like, all right, there's there's some traits there for sure. Um, that, and the thing you... that jumped out to me was that, and you look at a couple sites, Mock Draftable, and there's another site that has like some other athletic stuff. And, and they both list Hassan Reddick as a physical comp to him. And and I talked about on the last podcast how I thought Hassan Reddick was someone that I would try to make some space for. A player who signed a one-year, like, you know, six or eight million dollar deal, depending on where you look, it looks like it's six million guaranteed, but it can be up to eight million in one year. And Samson signed a two year, twelve million dollar deal. So it's like his APY was six million a year. And so I'm like, okay, maybe this was their version of Hassan Reddick. Uh, and then we roll the tape, David. Uh, and and where does this uh, where does this guy win? Uh, does he? Does he? I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I'm still I'm still looking. Um, we'll get back to you if I find it. No, I, I think like. So I think the disappointing thing, right, is is that uh, that athleticism that you see from the athletic profile doesn't really show up in his tape for me. Like it, it just um, he feels slow off the ball um, and and doesn't really ever get. So with that that 10 yard split, the thing that you're hoping for, right, is kind of the acceleration out of the gate and, and that you're hoping that that translate as a pass rusher to your ability to get off the ball and cover ground. Right. And, and so it's and very that broad important. jump and that broad jump, you hope, is also equally explosive right yeah. it's that and it's initial power to get through something very very quickly from basically a stand like you're, you're yeah. standing and you can go and you can jump it is really what it is and so those two numbers combined you think to yourself wow there are only that like he's better than 98 percent of the athletes at this position that test and yet he, he does look pretty, pretty stodgy off the ball. Not going to lie. Yeah. It's just like, and like, look, it's not like you're comparing him. Aaron Donald, when you're watching the Rams, like always jumps out in that regard. Like he's always basically the first one off the ball and he's like, uh, it just, he flashes there and, and it's always like difficult to, to not focus on him a little bit. But, um, so, but, but even not comparing him to that, like as a speed rusher, right. He has a, a profile that, that definitely says that he should be a speed rusher around the edge, right? He's a little bit undersized. Um, again, the athletic profile shows you that, okay, I'm more of a speed oriented player. Um, and it just, he doesn't win there. He doesn't win around the, the edge. Like, and a lot of it has to do with the initial kind of few steps. So you're, you're hoping that translate to, you know, I'm, I'm getting a good jump off the ball. So if I'm, I, I see the snap happen, right. I'm able to in those first few steps, cover a lot of ground and put the tackle in a bind where he has to kind of open up out of his set and and it gives you options at that point because the tackles you know really trying not to get beat around the edge and so if he has to kind of open up and almost run a little bit to to kind of cut you off well now that opens up the inside and so it, it just works very well in your favor if you can get that first few steps off the ball 
and, and kind of cover a lot of ground, right? And, and put that tackle in a bind. And so you don't see that ever with him. Like he's, he's kind of the tackle always beats him to the spot. And then what he just does most of the time instead is he just trying to tries to kind of convert to uh, a little bit of a bull rush and like it kind of sometimes works, but not that often. Yeah, he, he does. Uh, I will say this. If the Niners are looking for someone to mush rush the edge and contain that side so that, you know, maybe the rest of the pass rush can get there, then he might be pretty good at that. He's really good at, at mushing into whatever is trying to guard where he's trying to pass rush. Th- that isn't to say that he that he had zero wins over the course of the, the his career or the film that we watched. He actually had a, a pretty notable win from a wide alignment in week 16, 2019, he actually sacked Jimmy Garoppolo for seven yards against George Kittle. But he was lined up fairly wide and was able to take that kind of wide nine angle to the quarterback. Granted, he beat a tight end, right? He's not beating left yeah. tackles. Uh, and, and that tight end, though, is George Kittle, who's largely considered to be a, a fairly good blocking tight end. And, and so maybe that's what the Niners see in him. They, they saw a couple of snaps where he's lined up out wide. He's got a better, more favorable angle, and they think he translates better in their scheme than he does in the Rams scheme. Because the other thing that they're asking him to do for the Niners is bulk up. He's going to play edge, and he's going to play edge full time as opposed to playing kind of this outside linebacker hybrid role that he played for the Rams. And so his agent had a, a comment, I think, on The Athletic where he was talking about how the Niners are looking at him as a three-down player not really as a specialized speed rusher. And so he's bulked up and put on some weight. So it's 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 a little interesting how they're going to play him. Uh, but it does seem like, you know, from the outset, I'm not necessarily optimistic that he is going to be a player that's going to come in and, and really light the world on fire as a pass rusher. Yeah, I, I just, I think that's... Uh everything that you just said is a mistake <laughs> like yeah uh, not not uh like expecting him to put on weight um and and be because like yeah the, we're not we haven't even touched on really the run game stuff which has kind of always been a big week like he's just not a guy that you want as like a a base package um run defender there and and so i mean he and he did play on the edge you know in um in los angeles he just did it standing up most of the time so i think like that's the big yeah. Um, difference there is he was he was still on the edge on the defensive line essentially right on the line of, he's a line of scrimmage player he's not an off ball guy um, but he was just doing it from a two point stance most of the time rather than than putting his hand in the dirt and so I think you know if they're asking him to do that, that that'll be a little bit of a transition but yeah I I think the only thing that you can you can say right is that hopefully that they're seeing re- the reason why he's you know maybe struggling off the ball or having some of those issues are more technique related things that they feel like can be corrected, which is, is always a gamble. I mean, I think you, you run into a lot of situations in the off season where coaches, because they're, you know, obviously very good at what they do being, you know, at the top of their profession, they, they kind of feel like they can fix some things that can't always be fixed. Um, and so you can kind of get yourself into trouble, but I mean, the, the good thing is like, they're not paying him a lot of money, right? You're, you're not, the expectation here is, more of a rotational player. Like I think if everything goes well and you're not dealing with a glut of injuries on the defensive line, again, in your base situations, you're having Nick Bosa and Eric Armstead as your defensive ends. And then once you are, you know, in your kind of um, nickel stuff and in your sub packages, 
then yeah, maybe this gives you some flexibility at, at times to bump Armstead inside and you can put him on the edge and you have a little rotation there with him and D Ford, hopefully like that is what I feel like the, the role that he has a, the best chance at succeeding in. Like if they're expecting him to be more of a, an every down play, even like two thirds of the snaps type of player, like I don't, like I, I just don't see it. I don't see what he's shown during his time that like proves that he can do that. Yes, I mean wh- where he wins is from hopefully wide rushes, which may align with what the Niners are hoping to do, especially with their wide nine alignment. Um, he wins more often against tight ends. Don't see him beat a lot of tackles often. When you look at his sacks, they are really kind of him being in an area. And then the quarterback being rushed out of the pocket somewhere and then him just kind of being in the right spot and and maintaining a rush lane and getting that cleanup sack, which, you know, I guess is somewhat valuable, especially if you've got Bosa on the other end, who's going to flush the quarterback out of the pocket. Right. Um, But where he can improve, you think of him as a three down player. The run game hasn't been especially in, in super good when you're engaging with tackles or tight ends in the run game on the edge. Um, and you look at his individual pass rush snaps. We've talked a lot about this offseason, true pass sets, when you really isolate what that pass rusher is doing. And he's not had a lot of examples of those um, over the course of his time in Los Angeles, and even fewer that have been really positive plays for him. So it's definitely a, um, I think, a player that you look at the overall contract, two years, 12 million, you think, oh man, they have a lot of faith in this guy. But it's it's really not. You look at the way the contract splits out, and he's got a $3.75 million cap number in year one. But next year, a lot of this is really just money that is not super guaranteed. His cap hit if he's cut next year is $1.75 million. Not an onerous number if the, if the team decides to cut him. And they save $6.5 million because it's all base salary, effectively, that isn't guaranteed. So I think that Ebukam fit a couple of criteria. One, likely an athletic profile that they wanted. And two, he was durable. And three, he wasn't so good that he could command a one-year deal like Hassan Reddick because Hassan Reddick is actually counting like six or eight million dollars this year against the cap. So he had to be like not so good that he could command a one-year deal and, and like, but not so bad that he was super duper terrible, but somewhere where they could actually get a two-year deal to put some backloaded money to make it seem larger and get him to sign. Yeah, and I think when it when you look at it like, okay, um, if you're looking at this as more of a rotational piece and and what are their other options there, and you, you maybe compare him to bringing, um, you know, somebody like Kerry Hyder back. Um, or Jordan Willis, I think, is yeah. the other one. Who may still come back because there is a soft market for lots sure. of players. Yeah, and, and you're right, and, and they still may end up with those guys. But um, I, I think as far as choosing who you're going to pay a little bit more money to, to, to ensure that you kind of keep them around, like it, it does make sense to, to take it a little bit of a chance, I think on somebody like Epicom, right? Like it, it, he, at least he's a little bit younger. Um, and, and he at least has something there from an athletic profile perspective where you feel like maybe there's some untapped potential there, right? Like Kerry Hyder, like is like there's no really unknown there with Kerry Hyder, right? Like he's going to kind of cap out at a, at a pretty solid like rotational piece on, on a normal defensive line that isn't, you know, just ravaged by injuries. Um, and, and so, yeah, I, I think it does make sense to like take a little bit of a risk there and, and hope that maybe 
he gets, uh, you know, I don't know, some better coaching D-line and can fix some technique-related issues and, and get a little bit more production out of him, um, you know, that would be great. Yeah, and ultimately, I don't think that, like, if, if we're thinking of, okay, you think of maybe Solomon Thomas. Solomon Thomas is your line of, like, okay, he wasn't very good. He had a couple of plays. He had some splash plays. It's not a big deal. I think overall, Ebukam is, like, on par, maybe a little better with what Solomon Thomas brought to the table. Both not necessarily world-beating players, but as a rotational player, not bad. Like, if you're thinking of him taking up that spot, or you're thinking of him taking up the Kerry Hyder spot or the Jordan Willis spot, it, it, it's fine. It just definitely don't pin your heart on him being like a D Ford replacement or D Ford insurance, for yes. example. It's much better for D Ford to come back and be healthy um, by leaps and bounds and orders of magnitude than it is to expect Samson to be much of anything else. Unless maybe he grows his hair out. Who knows? Maybe if he Samson grows his hair, Ebukam, he gets all of his power. Fine. That's yeah. <laughs> he's he's fine. Let's talk about someone who, uh, Alex Mack, uh, maybe fine, maybe more than fine. I don't know. I don't even, honestly, I don't even know if it's a one year deal or, or a three year deal because the, the deal was originally reported as a one year, $5.5 million deal. And then the team announced that Alex Mack had been signed to a three year deal. So the, I, we have no other details. I couldn't find anything else about what those three years included or didn't include. My guess is that similarly, it is a lot of rip cords, a lot of release valves that allows the team to push some cap hits into the back half of the contract. The back end of the contract that he will almost certainly never never see. Like No, because because when you think about his athletic profile, um, look, my dude's old. Like I almost feel I almost feel mean talking about his athletic profile right now. Like he's like he is the guy who in a work meeting talks about how much he hates Slack. That's how old he is. He's like, I, I, are they threaded? Uh, who, like people reply in threads. Other people reply in the channel. Some people reply in the thread that comes in the channel. I can't keep track. This is, I, I, oh, I didn't, God. I actually heard a CEO say that in a meeting well, sometime over the last two days. Not going to lie. Um, but, <laughs> but yeah, like let's, his, his athleticism is not necessarily what he's bringing to the table right now. What he brings to the table right now, where he wins, is really his his brain, his intelligence, and what he can do in the run game. Um, because I, I think if you look at his athletic profile to what he was a couple of years ago, it's much different than it is now. But he's still a really, really good run blocker, and he's able to execute some of the tough blocks that Shanahan asks of his center that haven't always been executed to a high degree in San Francisco. Yeah, I think there's, you know, yeah, so I think the there's there's a little juice in the tank left. Um, you know, just a, a little bit for I him to I knew you love juice. Don't <laughs> deny it. You love juice. Uh th- there's enough there in the tank for him to still do well on a lot of the the zone blocks, right? So a lot of those reach blocks that you're getting from the center, um, you know, when you're you're running outside zone especially, but but inside zone as well, like he still has enough quickness off the ball to be able to like gain some ground on those D linemen. And I think that serves him very well um, in the run game, whenever he can kind of rely more on that initial quickness um, rather than, uh, you know, power or something else. Cause I think when you look at the areas and, and I uh, don't even want to say where he can improve because he's like, look, he's not going to improve. These are just more like liabilities you're going to deal with um, in, until he retires. 
Um, and, and it really is like the things that you see starting to, or maybe not starting to, but um, that, that, have, that are not at that kind of high-end level that you think of with Alex Mack. The, the play strength, like he was never a mauler by any means. Like he was always a guy that was much better on the move. Um, but when you look at some of his like worst snaps from last season, a lot of them involve guys getting, and this is both as a pass protector and in, in the run game. Um, but, but it's when guys are able to kind of get into his chest, then kind of toss him around. Like it, it's kind of over at that point. Like he doesn't have a lot of strength to be able to hold up against a lot of the interior D linemen, you know, that he's going to be going against. And he doesn't have that kind of like reset that you see sometimes where yeah. sometimes you'll see a guy get beat, but then he can get his feet out and kind of out from under him and create that a frame and really reset and not seed any more ground. Like once it's over, it's over. Yeah, there, there's no anchor left there. It's just, it's gone. One, once he's, and, and you see him, like, there's some ugly snaps in there. And, and thankfully, like, they're not super frequent. Um, You know, he's he's still, I think, especially in the run game, like, still one of the, the highest graded centers in the NFL last season on these zone runs. So it's not happening a ton. But when you do look at, and I think this is kind of going to be an interesting thing to see schematically with the 49ers, what they do. Like, we've talked about it, it points how they have kind of gone towards a little bit more usage of some of the gap scheme stuff, the power and the counter type of runs. They've been mixing those in with a lot more frequency kind of as Shanahan has been in San Francisco. Um, those blocks for for Mac, he's a much worse blocker, run blocker in those type of blocks because those blocks are really more about power and being able to move guys off the ball and and create space that way. And, and he just doesn't do that right now. And so I, I think it would be interesting to see if they maybe kind of stay away from that a little bit and go back to a little bit heavier zone usage with him there. And then I think the other thing that uh, I think he's starting to struggle with too is, is the change of direction isn't really there. So he's got that initial quickness, right? He can get going in that one direction. He can get his reach block in the run game. But you see like... If uh, at the second level, sometimes like if he's having to kind of stick his foot in the ground and redirect that, that can be troublesome. And then in pass protection, this shows up a lot um, in stunts. So there were a lot of times, a lot of his negative plays in pass pro came on stunts in just situations where he would get moving with the D line in one way. And then as you would pass that off and try to pick up the looper, he just couldn't get there. Um, and, and so I think those are the type of things that you're going to see him struggle with but I, I still think he is even if he's the the same guy that he was last year which is like nowhere near the dominant player that he was in, in his prime um is still better than the center play that they got last season I, well I that's, think you're that's still the ultimate question right, right? Yeah. and the ultimate question he doesn't need to be a top 10 or or actually that's probably not true he doesn't need to be one of the top five centers in the league in order to in order for this to be a successful signing he needs to clear the Dan Brunskill line. <laughs> and, and I think that Alex Mack, even at this stage in his career, clears the Dan Brunskill line. The question that I still have is whether he clears the Ben Garland line. Because Dan Brunskill was the center in large part because Ben Garland got injured and, and really couldn't come back. And, and Ben Garland, though, was a very serviceable center when he played. The problem is when he played. And so the question at this point that, that I posit to you, David, is, is Alex somewhere near the Ben Garland line? Because if he is, then that's good enough. 
and, and I think the brain accounts for some other things that that I think the team does need because we talked about it last season. Part of the the issues in their pass protection weren't because of the player's skills. It was because of communication breakdowns along the line. You've got people sliding the wrong way, not picking up the right blitzer, and Alex Mack really helped solidify those things. So what, where is he in, in, in that kind of comparison? I, I think he's better than Garland still. Yeah, I, I would still put him ahead. Of, like, so I, I think when you looked at Brunskill and Garland, Brunskill was very good in the run game and then just fucking awful as a pass protector at center. Um, and, and so like, actually, when you look at his, his run blocking grade on just the zone runs, he's right there, just a spot below Alex Mack last year um, at number six. Mack was at five. Um, and, and so I think he was very good there, but Brunskill, one of the worst centers in the league last year in, in pass protection. So I think Mack, even with some of his deficiencies there and, and getting kind of bold and tossed aside and bullied a little bit um, on some snaps and having some issues on some of those stunts, like it was still a middle of the pack um, type of pass protector at center, which is going to be fine. I think with, with Garland, you were a little bit more just kind of mediocre at both. I think there's a, a big gap in the run game there. Like I think Mac is, is still very clearly a better run blocker than him. And then in pass protection, it's, you know, maybe a little bit closer, but I think it's, it's fine. Like it, you, you probably are gaining in anything that you might have with Garland being a better, you know, individual blocker at this stage in their careers. Like, I think you're making up with some of the communication, like the experience and the stuff that he's going to be able to bring to the table and helping get protection set and, and making sure that everybody's on the same page in that regard. And you add a sprinkle of availability. Yeah, because if you, if you get all those things and you get a center who over the course of his career has played consistently and been available all of a sudden, you know, yeah, it, you, you're, you may be sacrificing a little bit maybe in terms of, of age or change of direction or your ability to hold up against some, some bull rushes and some power. But I mean, this is a dude who since 2015 has played almost uh, has played over a thousand snaps every year except for 2020, where he played 986 snaps. And I don't know if that's because he missed a game or that's just because Atlanta didn't quite clear 1,000 snaps. Um, I mean, he is, when it comes to durability and ability to play, he's there and he's available. And that's not something the Niners have been able to to really have since even Daniel Kilgore. Like, Daniel Kilgore had some injury issues before he left. And then you get Richburg and you only got a little bit of Richburg and then you got Garland and then Garland gets injured. I mean, it has been a bit of a revolving door. So... If nothing else, Alex Mack, you know, may not be the on the field player that he was in 2016 or 2017. He has been declining since. But if he can even get to, you know, a little better than Ben Garland and good in the zone run game and, you know, not be a catastrophe as a pass blocker as Brunskill was and do it for 16 games, he's an upgrade. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think you're really hoping, right? You're hoping for one season give me one more season at the same level that you were at last year. And that buys us a little bit more time to kind of figure out a long-term solution, right? Let the cap rebound a little bit. Let's have a little bit of more money to work with here, get another draft, you know, and, and give us some time to fix that and make it. So it's not a whole, like something that has to be um, one of the many like immediate holes that we have to plug right now. So what's left then at this point, you've got most of first wave of free agency done but you still have free agents that are, there's still value to be had out there. 
Um, we'll talk about quarterback for a little bit because we promised people we'd talk about Joe Flacco, which is a thing I never thought I'd say on this podcast after 2012. And <laughs> But you, you, you think about Denver 2019 when it comes to Joe Flacco because that was when Rich Gangarello was the offensive coordinator in Denver, and that's when they were running a Shanahan-esque system. Joe Flacco, funnily enough, had some starts in 2019. How did Joe Flacco do in 2019? And much like the Alex Mack discussion, did did or does he clear the Nick Mullins bar? Because we're not looking for <laughs> Joe Flacco to come in here and really push and or compete with Jimmy Garoppolo. He's not going to do that. But does he clear the Mullins Bethard bar? Yeah. Yeah, I think he clears the the, the Mullins line. So um, at the, that point, the Mullins then, line's pretty low. I would I would like to go ahead and just end discussion on the floor there. We can shit on Joe Flacco all we want, and we likely <laughs> will. But God damn it, he clears the Bethard Mullins. The Mullins Bethard line, I think, is like the Mason Dixon line. The Mullins Bethard line. Uh, he clears that line, and so at least for now, we will give Joe Flacco a reprieve. Um, I just hope they don't pay him more than like vet men. <laughs> That's, that's really all yeah. I want. <laughs> oh, and there's no way that'll that'll happen too. Yeah, I, yeah, it's um, you know, whatever. It's backup quarterback. You need to have one. Like, yeah. he's not. You're you're not. Exp- I mean, obviously, at this stage in his career, I mean, he's like 36 years old right now. Like, he's probably just here trying to get some more checks before he calls it a career. And uh, you know what? You hope you don't ever have to put him into a game. Yeah, just like if your kids play football, have them play quarterback. That's all I'm saying. Uh, but let's talk about cornerback because the Niners still don't have a clear picture at nickel cornerback. Mike Hilton off the market. And, and to me, this feels a little bit like the safety market did a few years back when the league was kind of in a Mexican standoff and no one wanted to sign anyone. And then finally, one team signed a safety and everyone kind of fell in afterwards. Mike Hilton got signed, but no one else has kind of filled in afterwards. But I do feel like Mike Hilton may be set top of the market at $5 million or so a year. And so if you're looking to get a bargain, where where should the 49ers look? And 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 to, yeah, like so I think that's that's a good thing, right? Is like they they should have some options. I mean, we talked about in the preview how there were so many quality nickel players, you know, in this free agency class. I think when you look over the past few seasons, if you look at like the top 10 or 11 um highest graded nickel cornerbacks, um, seven of them were free agents, you know, entering, entering this period. So, um, there, there are definitely some options and it's nice because Hilton didn't really even get, so, I mean, he only got 6 million a year on average, but only 6 million guaranteed total in, in his deal. So, I mean, they, they should be able to find a decent player here for not a lot of money, right? I think this is a hole that you can fill in free agency still. Um, and yeah, I, I mean, I think it wouldn't be a surprise knowing this team, um, if they find a way to bring just K1 Williams back on a short-term deal or something like that. Right. I, I think they, we know that they're going to prioritize guys that they are familiar with in some way. Like that's just kind of how they roll at this position or at this time. Like um, most of their signings, it's, it's very rare that they venture outside of um, kind of the, the players that have some sort of connection to one of their coaches or have experience in their systems or, or those type of things. So um, I, I think K1 has probably got to be the favorite, right, to to come back if I had to pick one. But I think they have options if if he goes elsewhere. Yeah. The, I mean, there is an interesting name out there, Adoree Jackson, who was released 
and now he's available. He did not have a solid 2020, and he had some injuries, but he is a first-round corner. And, and when you look at someone who's very good on the outside, I mean, the only players that were better than him on the outside were Jair Alexander, Richard Sherman, and Stephon Gilmore in terms of PFF coverage grade since 2018. So he was kind of like an unexpected free agent, but if you're thinking about moving Emmanuel Mosley to the slot and signing someone like a Dory Jackson, would you would you prefer signing a Dory Jackson and moving Mosley to the slot, presuming you can get him maybe on like, you know, a two-year deal or whatever to, to spread out a bit of the cap hit? Or would you prefer the team to go after like a Cameron Sutton or Desmond King, someone who's a bit more proven, or even re-sign K1 Williams, who has played the slot and and fill out your defensive backfield that way? I think I would probably go with with somebody like a Dory Jackson. Like I would rather take a chance on that. Who was again didn't have a great 2020, like you mentioned, but um, was very good in 2019. Like had had a really strong season that year. And, and so I think there he's still young. Like there's there's definitely some talent there. And I think it is more difficult to find you know outside a corners. quality outside corner. Yeah, I, I think if you have the chance to get somebody that you could see as being, you know, a, a quality starter at that position. I think you have to go that route first and and know that you can have some options, you know, even if that is moving Mosley inside and, and kind of making the best of it. Like, I, I think you can, it's, it's easier, you know, I mentioned before, like it's, it's very difficult to hide a weak link. I think it is easier to hide a slot corner in a zone heavy scheme than it is an outside corner. Like if we're making those kind of like distinctions between the two, right. And so I, I would definitely prefer spending the money and the resources on the outside corner. If I'm having to pick between the two. The one thing that would make me a little worried is if the Niners waited, didn't sign a nickel or an outside corner and then tried to fill this in the draft. I think at that point you need to draft three corners. Yeah, I mean they already need to draft multiple guys, right? I, th- yeah. I think they need to come away with yeah with several the hope, corners. Um, the hope though is that you can sign a slot corner or an outside corner and maybe move Emmanuel Mosley into the slot, and then you're not tied to drafting a corner in that first round. I think if you don't sign another corner, you're really kind of like yeah, we're drafting a corner. And like, and and the worst thing would be not the worst thing. I mean, obviously there are worse things, but the the thing that would be tough for the team to overcome is to not add another corner that is somewhere near starting caliber. Feel like they can address that in the draft, and then have some kind of defensive lineman slip to their pick that they feel they can't miss on, and then end up drafting a defensive lineman, and now have to try and find maybe another like second or third round cornerback when they could have just drafted, you know, an actual good cornerback. So it's, it's tough. It's tough, but I do think they need to solve, not solve. They they do need to address corner with the rest of this sometime in the rest of this free agency period. And luckily the market is shaping up that it will allow them to do so at not a ton of money. Yeah. I mean, that's a good thing. Like um, at this stage in free agency, I mean, it, it, there's not going to be many players left that are going to command any sort of like huge contracts right most of that yeah. um that money is is gone and spent and so um yeah you should hopefully be able to find some some bargains here at this stage yeah all right so we're gonna say goodbye now to our free agency recap episode we'll be back next week but before we say goodbye to you let's say goodbye to the players that are no longer with the 49ers <laughs> kendrick Bourne, who got a lot of money from new england yeah he did. Uh, and and i really do hope that he put in uh, let me dance Bill Claus in his contract. Cause I feel like <laughs> Bill Belichick will crush him. 
Uh, although my Patriots buddy did say that like Cam still thrive under Bill Belichick, so maybe Kendrick Bourne will too. But you know, just just let my man dance is all I'm saying. Solomon Thomas now onto Las Vegas. I hope this is a much more fertile ground for Solomon Thomas. I hope he rehabilitates his career uh, and ends up being the Michael Bennett that everyone wanted. Ronald Blair also a free agent. He's not re-signed somewhere else. He's probably still trying to grow his ligaments back inside of his leg. Uh, and Akella Witherspoon. His, his tombstone will forever be now in the Pacific Northwest in Seattle. We all knew he was going to go there. We did. Um, and now the Niners may have to face Akella Witherspoon twice. And you know what? I say, good for the Niners. Sounds they great. Will, they will Sign be able up. to have a target to pick on. Yeah. And all they will have to do is put two receivers anywhere near Akella Witherspoon. And it will freeze him. He will not have any idea what to do. His eyes will get stuck in the backfield. And hopefully Jimmy Garoppolo can make the throw right around him, as so many quarterbacks have done throughout Akella Witherspoon's career in San Francisco. I mean, that's the the best. I mean, sometimes you only need really even just the one guy is troublesome. But I get I can see, uh, you know, a situation where like which would just be kind of hilarious uh, that Akella that Witherspoon like ends up looking decent in the game against the Niners because Jimmy Garoppolo doesn't throw like a fucking single pass outside the hash marks or something. And it's just like everything's in the middle of the field. Um, would be of, the, of those four players. Do you have a memory that jumps out a favorite memory from any one of those players? Um, it's hard to pick a single Kendrick Bourne drop. Um, <laughs> no, Jesus, I, I man's mean, body's not even cold, David. God, he got his money and whatever. It's fine. Uh, I mean, no. I, I really don't. Yeah, I'm not. I mean, they're they're going to be fine. I think these are exactly, you know, they're the all the type of players that like with maybe the exception of, uh, you know, I think Witherspoon, it was just going to always kind of make sense for them to move on from him at this point. But, you know, the rest of them are like, yeah, if you, you know, can bring them back very, very cheaply and, and you want to keep them around as, as kind of a depth piece and fill out the bottom of your depth chart, like whatever but you're you're going to be just fine like moving on from them and so i don't think that they're going to miss the the production um that they would have gotten yeah. from any of these guys i i remember actually i think the play where ronald blair tore his acl where he's chasing down russell wilson uh on the edge that's that's unfortunately the play because i thought it was a really phenomenal play the fact that he was able to stick with russell wilson out on the edge one-on-one -on -one and make that tackle it just cost him an acl maybe maybe i wish he wouldn't have made that tackle because uh, I do I do like Ronald Blair. And Akella Witherspoon, I'm going to thank him for uh, one of my favorite drinking rule games, uh, drinking game rules. Wow, dyslexia hitting hard right now. Uh, I, swear to, I swear to drunk, I'm not God. Uh, but I uh, the unearned incomplete sign, oh, I man. feel like we, we may have to rename that the, the honorary Akella Witherspoon, uh, better yep. rivals drinking rule. Yeah. Because that is my favorite rule. Too many people do it, and it reminds me of a Keller with a spoon. And it's great every single time. I'm just like, <laughs> you, you fucking know you just got smoked. You didn't do shit. But the ball got overthrown 15 yards. So when you come up and clear the dirt off your face mask after having eaten shit, you just make sure everyone knows it was incomplete. Good for you. You know, short memory. You know, you got to have that confidence as a corner. What I'm saying. What I'm saying. <laughs> All right, David. Well, that does it for our free agency recap here on the Better Rivals podcast. The Patreon is officially spinning back up. We unlocked the Trent Williams, 
uh, video that we did from uh, week 15, I think, of last year. So in case you want to see what makes Trent Williams amazing, check our Patreon. That video is free and unlocked. We've unlocked some ones over the course of the year. Uh, but David, where can they find us on the Patreons? That's going to be patreon.com slash better rivals. Um, yeah, we're going to be uh, looking at, you know, a couple, the, the couple signings that we've got so far in, in Mac and Ebucom. Um, we're going to have videos up on them, I think, probably this this weekend or so. So it'll, yeah, give us a, a chance to show some more examples. I know sometimes over audio, it, it's not always the easiest format to, to be able to understand some of these things or, or get that visual in your mind. And so this is exactly why we have the Patreon so that we can go um, and, and look at some of those video clips and, and really kind of go into more detail the things that we're seeing when we look at these guys. And you can always follow me on Twitter at Better Rivals. Thanks again for tuning in. As always, go Niners.